Welcome to TanakhStudy.com. My name is Jonathan Snowbell, and we will begin today studying the first section of six of Parshat Behalotcha. Parshat Behalotcha is a very large parasha, and we will attempt to get through the eighth chapter, the first chapter in Parshat Behalotcha today. And we will begin the first pasuk of the parasha. Vaydaber Adonai el Moshe lemor daber al Haron veAmartai lav beHaalotechad haNerot el Mul penei haMenorah yairu shivat haNerot vaYasken Haron el Mul penei haMenorah heila Neroteh kaAsher tziva Adonai et Moshe vezeh maaseh haMenorah miksha zahav ad yerecha ad pircha mikshahi kamareh Asher hara Adonai et Moshe ken asa et haMenorah. Then Hashem spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to Aharon and say to him, When you mount the lamps, the seven lamps will give light in the front of the lampstand. Aharon therefore did so. He mounted its lamps at the front of the lampstand, just as Hashem had commanded Moshe. Now this was the workmanship of the lampstand, hammered work of gold from its base to its flowers. It was hammered work according to the pattern which Hashem had shown Moshe. So he made the lampstand. In a vacuum, this is a very nice parasha. We all like the menorah. We all understand the need for light. If we are more or less comfortable with various parts of the the Mishkan offering incense, sacrifices, and bread to God, the mainstays of the Mishkan, everyone is happy and comfortable with the menorah. We read this at the end of Chanukah. It's all very nice. The question is, what is this parasha doing here? What is it teaching us? How is it significant within Sefer B'midbar? Let us recall, the commandment to create and the creation of the menorah is already discussed in great detail in Sefer Shmot, including the detail that it is to be made a miksha, not pieces attached together, but made from one large piece of gold, as we're told here in verse 4. As we were told here in verse 4, it's hammered work. It's one piece of gold, it's hammered out. So this is already said in, in Sefer Shmot. Vasita menorat zahav tahor, miksha te'aseha menorah. It's made out of one piece of gold. So we know this already from Sefer Shmot. The commandment for Aaron and his sons to light the light in the Mishkan is recorded later in Sefer Shmot, in Perak of Zayin. <clears throat> Though in this context, the menorah is not actually mentioned. However, that piece of the puzzle is completed at the end of Sefer Vayikra, which tells us that the commandment to light the light in the Mishkan is done with the menorah. So, A, we seem to learn absolutely no information in this section, and B, it seems to have no place in what we are learning in Sefer Bemidbar, which is all about the camp around the Mishkan, and the menorah takes us back into the Mishkan and the laws of Kohanim dealt with extensively in Sefer Vayikra. The Ramban rejects the idea proposed by Rashi that this is some sort of compensation for Aharon in the aftermath of the 12 days of Korbanot of the Nesim recorded at the end of Nassau. After all, Aharon and his sons do all the service for God in the Mishkan, and therefore there is nothing to be jealous of. He tries to deal with this repetitiveness but does not give a satisfying answer in my opinion. A section that in my opinion needs more thought, but we'll move on in the Parsha. The next section in our Parsha is about the inauguration or sanctification of the Levim in order that they should be able to serve in the Mishkan. So let's begin in Pasuk He. Vaydaber Adonai el Moshe lemor. Kachat al-Vim mitoch b'nei Yisrael 
וטיהרת אותם, וכה תעשה להם לטהרם הזה עליהם מי חטאת, והעבירו טהר על כל בשרם, וכיבסו בגדיהם, והיא טהרו. Again, <coughs> sorry, then Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, Take the Levim from among the sons of Israel and cleanse them. Thus you shall do to them for their cleansing, sprinkle purifying water on them, and let them use a razor over their whole body and wash their clothes and they will be clean. The inauguration of the Levim is actually an act of purification. The root, Tet Heresh, Tahara, appears three times in the verses we just read. The tahara, the purification, is achieved by three actions. Sprinkling them with mechatat, used to purify from tumat met, contact with a dead body, which we will only really learn about in the, in the continuation of Sefer Bemidbar. Shaving all of their bodily hair, and washing, purifying their clothing. This inauguration can be contrasted with the inauguration of the Kohanim. The Kohanim are anointed with oil and blood of the Miluim sacrifice that is placed on them. Thus the Kohanim are inaugurated as vessels of the Mishkan. They are sanctified. That is the, the, the language the Torah uses. The Levim in contrast go through a process of purification in order to serve. As we will read, they are representing Bnei Israel in the Mishkan as human beings, not vessels. Therefore, they need not to be sanctified, as their sanctification stems from the, the existing sanctity of the nation of Bnei Israel, And they are their representatives. However, in order to serve in this sensitive place, they must undergo a group act of purification. Now let's examine some of the elements of this purification process. Why must they be purified from Tumatmet? Rashi, nothing specific, nothing that relates to the Leviim per se, it just purifies those Leviim who happen to be impure from contact with a dead body. This Chizkuni adds that their contact with the Mishkan demands that they be purified. This is plausible. However, in general, we send to be purified individuals who need to be purified, not everyone, just in case. Secondly, Presumably a Levi who subsequently needed to come in contact with a dead body, or accidentally came in contact with a dead body, would have to purify themselves again in order to work in the Mishkan. This act, this ceremony, seems to be a one-time symbolic pure, permanent purification of the Leviim for service, like the sanctification of the Kohanim is a one-time occurrence that permanently sanctified the Kohanim. On an individual level, they will have to maintain their personal purity. This, thus, individual purity is not the purpose of this tribe-wide action. Shaving the body. Rashi makes the following statement. I found in the writings of Rabbi Moshe HaDarshan that since they, the Leviim, are an atonement for the firstborn who partook in idol worship, referring to the sin of the golden calf, and idol worship is called an offering to or of the dead, and the Mitzorah is considered to be like a dead person, therefore they needed to be shaved like the Mitzorah. In this quote of Rabbi Moshe Darshan, there is an important comment on a simple reading of the text. If you want to understand the commandment incumbent upon the Levim to shave their bodily hair, one must look to the other place in the Torah, 
such a commandment exists. The Mitzorah who is commanded not once, but twice in his purification process to shave all of his hair. However, besides that initial connection, the rest of this equation is somewhat convoluted, tenuous, and demands numerous assumptions to work. Number one, the Levim atoned for the firstborn. That the Levim replaced the firstborn, we learned in Parshat Bemidbar. The word kapara, atonement, does not appear there in this context. The Levim are replacing the firstborn because the firstborn partook in idol worship. B'nai Israel partook in idol worship. Did the firstborn specifically? Unclear. In any case, this reason is certainly not mentioned in Parshat Bemidbar, and we have already offered an alternative explanation for this replacement when we learn Parshat Bemidbar. Idol worship somehow is related to death, a worthy assumption, but not an axiom. Number four, we have to assume that a mitzorah is considered to be dead. Therefore, number five, somehow the Levim are somehow like the mitzorah and need to be shaved as well. A simpler approach would suggest a similarity between the Levim and the Mitzorah that demand a similar act, but not an equation of the two. A Mitzorah is one whose life was overturned. We mentioned the connection of the Mitzorah to death, a notion that can be justified in the verses in Vayikra that we cannot do at the present. But a Mitzorah is banished from his society for an unlimited amount of time. He lives in a constant state of mourning with rent clothing and hair growing. This period coming to an end is a rebirth into the society and life. Shaving all of one's bodily hair is a dramatic act that signifies the return to an infant stage, a major life event, a new beginning. The Leviim are now embarking on a new beginning, a major life event. They will represent Bnei Yisrael serving in the Mishkan under the auspices of Aaron and his sons. They will no longer be treated as, regular tri- uh, as a regular tribe of the nation. They will not serve in the army, not receive a portion in the land of Israel. This is a rebirth that demands returning to the infancy stage by shaving all of their bodily hair. So according to this suggestion, as opposed to Rabbi Moshe Darshan quoted by Rashi, there is no actual similarity between the Mitzorah and the Levim. There is a similarity in the process that both undergo. A new beginning and rebirth, the Mitzorah from a place beneath life, out of society, to a normal life, and the Levim from a regular life to a new and elevated new life. We will now move on to Pasuk Chet. then let them take a bull 
with its grain offering, fine flour mixed with oil, and a second bowl you shall take for a sin offering. So you shall present the Levites before the tent of meeting. You shall also assemble the whole congregation of the sons of Israel and present the Levim before Hashem, and the sons of Israel shall lay their hands on the Levim. Aharon then, then shall present the Levim before Hashem as a wave offering from the sons of Israel that they may qualify to perform the service of Hashem. Now the Levim shall lay their hands on the heads of the bulls, then offer the one for a sin offering and the other one for a burnt offering to Hashem to make atonement for the Levim. You shall have the Levim stand before Aharon and before his sons so as to present them as a wave offering to Hashem. Thus you shall separate the Levim from among the sons of Israel, and the Levim shall be mine. Then after that the Levim may go in to serve the tent of meeting, but you shall cleanse them, purify them, and present them as a wave offering. What we read here is a confusing section in which the Levim are both offering sacrifices themselves, the two bulls are their offerings, as is apparent in verse 12, when they do the act of smicha, leaning on the bull's heads, and they're also being offered themselves. The Torah says, Offer the Levim. Aaron is offering them as a wave offering. And potentially, the placing of Bnei Israel's hands on their heads is also an act which shows that they are a sacrifice being offered themselves. But the question of this, this the act of smicha, of placing their hands on their heads, relates to the argument we discussed previously about the shaving of their bodily hair. Atonement or a new beginning? Rashi says, in the footsteps of what he has already said in, earlier in the name of Rabbi Moshe Adarshan, says that the Levim are brought as a sacrificial atonement for Bnei Israel for the sin of the golden calf. And therefore Bnei Israel must place their hands on their offering like any other offering, their offering being the Levim. However, the Chizkuni, while initially following in Rashi's footsteps regarding the idea of atonement, makes a different textual connection to the concept of smicha. When God commands Moshe to make Yehoshua the future leader after his death, later on in Sefer Bemidbar, he commands Moshe to do smicha on Yehoshua's head. In that instance, it is clear that Yoshua is not being offered as a sacrifice, nor is he an atonement for Moshe. He is replacing Moshe and being empowered as the new leader. And so says the Chizkuni, Smicha on a man, as opposed to an animal, implies the giving over of authority. So too, Bnei Israel are empowering the Levi'im to replace them, to serve God in the Mishkan. So according to Rashi, the smicha on the heads of the Kohanim is a continuation of the view that the Levim are atoning for Bnei Israel or the firstborn. Again, something not alluded to explicitly in Parshat Bemidbar, as the term kapara does not appear there. And according to the Chizkuni, the smicha implies a new position that is given by Bnei Israel to the Levim. The Levim are now empowered by Bnei Israel to represent them in the Mishkan. As an aside, we will just mention one other incident of smicha on a man's head, which is clearly not a sign of giving over authority, as the Chizkuni claimed. The incident of the man who cursed in God's name at the end of Sefer Vayikra, those who heard him curse were commanded to do smicha on his head 
prior to his execution. This might be a third type of smicha, but it might fit into Rashi's definition as some sort of atonement, but this investigation is out of the scope of our learning of Sefer Bemidbar. The offerings of the Levim. Verse says that the Levim offer two bulls, one bull and another bull as a chatat offering. So what is the identity of the first bull? The Torah tells us this only in verse 12, that is an Allah offering. But why the confusing formulation in the initial verse which makes the identity of the first bull unclear? Rashi and the Chizkuni draw a connection between this Olah and Chatat combination, and the Olah and Chatat combination offered, mentioned in Bamibar chapter 15. In Sefer Vaikra, we learn that the congregation brings a bull as a Chatat offering when the entire congregation sins. So in Bamidbar 15, it is unclear as to what congregational sin demands a bull as an Ola offering with a goat as a Chatat offering. The sages understood that this refers to a congregational sin of idol worship. <clears throat> Rashi, consistent with his approach throughout this section, says that the Leviim bring an offering for idol worship because they are atoning for the sin of idol worship at the golden calf. The Chizkuni while ultimately agreeing with Rashi's approach, mitigates this slightly by pointing out that here, the chatat offering is a bull, and there it is a goat, in order to stress that although the Levi'im are atoning for idol worship, they themselves did not worship the golden calf, and therefore their sacrifice is different than in chapter 15. How does this answer our initial question? In order to stress the unique nature of this chatat offering, the Torah mentions it together with the unidentified olah, to stress an identity between the two. Just like the Ola is burnt completely and not eaten, as is true with every Ola, so too this Chatat offered is burned completely and not eaten because it is brought as an atonement for idol worship. The Chizkuni also offers an alternative explanation that the Chatat offering is burnt because it is a Miluim, inaugural Chatat, offering, which is burned entirely, like the Chatat offering in the inauguration of the Kohanim. The Tnufa, the wave offering. Numerous wave offerings are offered in the Torah. However, it is always a sacrificial object that is waved, whether a portion of a sacrificial animal, the Omer offering, the bread offering on Shavuot, part of the Nazir's final offering when he completes his Nizirut was waved, as we read in Parshat Naso. Here is a unique situation in which people are waived. This points to what we mentioned earlier about the dual nature of this process. The Levim are also offering sacrifices, but they are also being offered as a sacrifice in this process. This also raises a technical question as to how this is physically done. How do the Kohanim wave the Levim, 22,000 of them? Many commentaries overlook this technical question. The Aramaic translation of Onkelos translates Tnufa here as he does in all places. V'yireim Aharon Yatlevai Aramai Kadam Hashem. Aharon lifts them, like a Tnufa, a wave offering. However, Rasag, Rav Sadia Gaon, uses a different word in his Arabic translation here as opposed to the other places where Tnufa is mentioned. In other places, it in fact means to lift and wave, but here he uses a different word implying that Aharon instructed Levim to move from one place to another, and in this sense, the wave offering was fulfilled without actually lifting and waving them. There is an element of repetitiveness with regard to the Tnufa. 
It is mentioned in verse 11 that Aaron waves them from Bnei Israel. In verse 13, they are waved in front of Aharon and his sons. And finally, again in verse 15, here without a specific designation, but said in second person, in second person to Moshe, implying that Moshe is to wave them as well. Rashi claims that these three wave offerings allude to the three families of the Levim, Gershon, Kehat, and Merari. However, it appears that the three wave offerings allude to three roles or characteristics or allegiances of the Levim, and therefore perhaps there were actually three separate wave offerings. One, they represent Bnei Israel, and therefore there had to be a waving on behalf of Bnei Israel. Two, they are under the authority of the Kohanim, and a waving had to be done in conjunction with the Kohanim. Finally, apparently they have a role that relates to Moshe. What is that role that relates to Moshe? If we assume that the job of taking apart, transferring, and reconstructing the Mishkan was done under the direct guidance of the Kohanim, as stated at the end of Parshat Bemidbar and at the beginning of Nassau, then perhaps the role that relates to Moshe is maintaining the boundaries of the camp to keep foreigners who do not belong in the Mishkan out. We will now continue with verse 16. For they are wholly given to me from among the sons of Israel. I have taken them for myself instead of every first issue of the womb, the firstborn of all sons of Israel. For every firstborn among the sons of Israel is mine. Among the men, among the animals on that, on that day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified them for myself. But I have taken the Leviim instead of every firstborn among the sons of Israel. I'll briefly mention that these verses, 16 through 18, seem to be repetitive of what we read in Parshat Bamidbar, and this demands an explanation that due to the lack of time, I will not be able to offer one. Let's continue to verse 19. I have given the Levim as a gift to Aaron and to his sons from among the sons of Israel to perform the service of the sons of Israel at, the, at Ohel Moed and to make atonement on behalf of the sons of Israel. So there will be no plague among the sons of Israel by their coming near to the sanctuary. Thus did Moshe and Aaron and all the congregation of the sons of Israel to the Levim, according to all that Hashem had commanded Moshe concerning the Levim, so the sons of Israel did to them. The Levim too purified themselves from sin and washed their clothes, and Aaron presented them as a wave offering before Hashem. Aaron also made an atonement for them to cleanse themselves. Then after that, the Levites went to perform their service in the tent of meeting before Aaron and before his sons, just as Hashem had commanded Moshe concerning the Levim, so they did to them. 
In verse 19, in the context of choosing the Levim, it says, al to atone for the children of Israel. Does this refer to the actual choosing of the Levim, thus supporting the idea put forward by Rashi, that the choice of the Levim and this entire process is an atonement for the sin of the golden calf? Or does this refer to what the Levim do in their regular work in the Mishkan? If so, what atonement do the Levim bring in the regular work in the Mishkan? In the continuation of the Pasuk, it says, V'lo Yisrael negef begeshet Yisrael el hakodesh. So that there will be no plague among the sons of Israel by their coming near to the sanctuary. Rashi comments that the job of the Levim is to keep foreigners out of the Mishkan, thereby saving them from punishment. However, the Chizkuni, echoing a comment of Yosef Bechor Shor, one of the eminent Pshat commentators, says that this refers to the choice of the Levi'im over the firstborn, an idea we alluded to in Parshat Bamidbar. The fact that a family, father to son, work in the Mishkan, with the father teaching the son, is saving Bnei Israel from the inevitable mistakes that would have happened had the firstborn from each family worked in the Mishkan with no familiarity of the work from other family members. Therefore, the Levi'im were chosen to replace the firstborn so that they could be a family that all works in the Mishkan and all teaches each other. And now verse 23 till the end of our chapter. Vaidaber Adonai el Moshe Lemor. Zot asher lalviim mi ben chamesh ve'esrim shana v'malai avol itzvot tzava ba'avodat o'el moed. Umi ben chamishim shana yashuv mitzva ha'avoda v'lo y'avod od. V'sheret et echav be'ol moed lishmor mishmeret va'avoda lo y'avod. And Hashem spoke to Moshe, saying, This is what applies to the Levim. From 25 years old and upward, they shall enter to perform service in the work of the tent of meeting. But at the age of 50 years, they shall retire from service in the work and, they, and not work anymore. They may, however, assist their brothers in the tent of meeting to keep an obligation, but they themselves shall do no work. That's the usual deal with the Levim concerning their obligations. These verses seem to imply that the Levim worked in the Mishkan from the age of 25 to 50, as opposed to the verses at the end of Parshat Bemidbar and the beginning of Nassau that talk about ages 30 to 50. Rashi says that there is a five-year training period prior to beginning the service from the age of 25 to 30. The Rashbam claims that there are two services mentioned in these verses. The Avodah in the Mishkan refers to taking apart, transferring, and reconstructing of the Mishkan. This was done from ages of 30 to 50, as we said in Bimidbar and Naso. However, there is another service mentioned in these verses, Lishmor Mishmeret, guarding the Mishkan and its vessels from foreigners. This, according to Rashbam, is done from age 25 to 30. From 30 to 50, the Levi'im worked in the construction and carrying of the Mishkan. And from 15 onwards, they may no longer work in the moving of the Mishkan, but they return to working Lishmor Mishmeret, guarding the Mishkan. So with this we completed chapter 8 and tomorrow we will continue to chapter 9 to discuss Korban Pesach and Korban Pesach Shini.